0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Our text, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Uh, It's in your bulletin, or you can find it in your Pew Bible. Please follow along as I read. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, pursuing And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Funny thing about a familiar text, um, I, I can remember being taught this in Sunday school, from my, my earliest memories, I can remember the Sunday school teacher with the, the flannel graph and and there's, there's the house right with it and it's got a little thing that'll slide back and there, there's Jesus and there's the crowd and and there you know Jesus has a very sublime, peaceful look on his face and and the crowd's eagerly watching, and of course there's the, the Pharisees there scowling you know and and uh, and then the, the, the little paralytic comes down you know and all that um, so it's a well-known text, which uh, presents a challenge for me. Uh, but at the same time, I, I believe that uh, uh, it has something to teach us. The Word of God is alive and powerful and teaches us. Uh, so my approach today will be simple, right? <laughs> uh, basic, foundational Christianity 101. But what I, the way I'd like to approach this, I'd like to consider Jesus Active ministry to those who were there that day in Capernaum, and what it means for us today. In other words, what was Jesus doing? What did he? How did he uh, uh, minister in this situation? Now, Mark is writing in order to um, testify to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah promised to Israel through the prophets. Testify to the fact that God the Father, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, sent Jesus to Israel and to the world in order to bring deliverance from the bondage of sin and then open the way to heaven. That's my summary of what Mark is doing in his gospel. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this account. So it, I believe it's important. It's also well documented, uh, the, um, the recording of these, uh, this event, Is very similar as you look at the different Gospels. Uh, This this healing took place within the first year of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, John the Baptist had just baptized Jesus recently. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, Jesus uh, then went to his hometown of Nazareth, uh, where he was kicked out of town for preaching uh, the Gospel there. Uh, He went to Capernaum. He, he delivered a man from a demon there, uh, preaching there in the synagogue on Sabbath day. Then uh, he went away by himself at, and in, the, in the dark hours of the night and sought the Lord and prayed, and they came and found him, and they said, "Where well, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, we must go to other towns and villages, for this is why I came. And so they did. Jesus went all around the Sea of Galilee, preaching and healing and casting out demons, Mark tells us. That was what Jesus did. Now he returns to Capernaum. And so we come to our text. Uh, He goes to the home. It was reported that he was at home. Now we we think that was Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house there in Capernaum. That's the accepted understanding. We're not really told whose home it was, but Jesus went home. It was like... Capernaum was a home base. Perhaps he went there seeking uh, to rest and regroup. Uh, But any respite was short-lived as the crowd gathered and crowded around the front of the house uh, so that people couldn't even get in or out. And we're told that uh, instead of sending them away, he preached the word to them. And I find that remarkable. He preached the word to them. Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld and we saw his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Logos of God is there in this home in Capernaum, preaching the Word of God to the people who were there, even though he is the Logos of God. One thing about Jesus in the Gospels and in the Gospel of Mark is that he is exemplary. He is the perfect man. We know he's sinless. We know he's righteous. But he is a man. And as a man, he relied on the Word of God for ministry. Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Even the Son of God relied on the written scriptures. When Jesus preached in Nazareth at his hometown, they gave him what? A scroll on which was written the prophet Isaiah's words. And Jesus read from the scroll. We have our scrolls. You have the Word of God. I have the Word of God. And the only eternal help that you might offer to anyone must be in harmony with the written, revealed Word of God, the words of Christ. Do you rely on the Word of God when you try to help people? That's a question we must ask ourselves. Jesus did. If Jesus did, then I ought to as well. And you ought to as well. Now, while Jesus was preaching, speaking the Word to the people there, um, there was an interruption. Uh, If someone tried to break a... Hole in the ceiling here. We would probably put a stop to it. It would be messy. It would be be hard to pay attention to what was going on there in the home as Jesus was teaching and preaching. Uh, But really, was it a a distraction or was it providential? I believe it was providential. So Jesus preached the word. Now Jesus sees true faith in these five men. What they do is motivated by faith. They had heard Jesus preach. They had witnessed Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons. And that word of God that Jesus preached and the the word of God that he performed gave birth to true faith in their souls. And so these four men took their uh, paralyzed friend um, on his bed or on a pallet or something and did this. So faith had come from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Their actions were like a confession of faith. They, they, By what they were doing, they were saying that they believed that Jesus could help their friend. And this is true, right, from the New Testament. We know that faith does not stand alone. James tells us, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith save him? And the rhetorical answer is no. If you believe in Jesus is going to change your life. And I can say that with great confidence. If you turn from your own ways and turn to the Lord Jesus by faith, uh, you will live differently, you will act differently, you will, talk, you will talk differently. If they did not believe, they wouldn't have bothered. Now, they had heard of Jesus. They could have concluded, you know, it's all a bunch of show. Jesus just has his own agenda. You're fine. Just keep begging. you It won't help anyway. Why go to Jesus? But no, the opposite was true in their thinking. All five of them. All five of them. They believed that Jesus could help their friend. Do you believe Jesus can help you? When When I came to the Christian faith some years ago, that was the first thing I realized, that no one else can help me. But Jesus can help me. And that... That has been true ever since. Uh, And once that happens to you, once you realize that the only true source of help and life and healing is found in Christ, uh, you will never be the same again. Um, And that comes through the preaching of the word. Um, That comes through uh, faith and and that believing causes you to do things differently and look at the world differently than you had before. That's why we gather here to hear the preaching of the word, isn't it? Otherwise, why bother? This is the living word of Christ. This is the, If you think on this and live by this, you will be blessed. You will be richly filled with all the blessing of God. All you have to do is believe and come, basically go to Jesus. Learn of him. Trust in him. He is meek and lowly in heart and he calls you to come to him. So... Jesus preached. Jesus saw their faith. And then Jesus forgives sins. You see, the paralytic, the poor man on the the mat, along with his four friends, uh, they're all sinners. You might lose sight of that in the text. uh, But why did the man need forgiveness of sin? Why did Jesus say to him, son, your sins are forgiven? Well, because he's a sinner. He was born into a race of sinners. He's a sinner by nature. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. uh, Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? They were sinners, just like everyone there present were sinners. I got no news for you. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need Jesus' forgiveness. We're born into sin. Mark here gives no indication that this man had uh, committed a particular sin uh, that caused this, you know, paralyzation in his life, in his body. No, it's simply that in God's providence, his friends brought him there that day. He was there that day. Jesus was there that day. And Jesus forgives, pronounces forgiveness about his sins. Well, in God's providence, you are here today. Jesus will forgive your sin as well. And I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care if no one else knows about it. If you will go to Jesus and ask him, come to him like these men did with their friend, uh, he will proclaim to you that your sins would be forgiven. He forgives sins. In God's providence, I was in the right place at the right time. You're in the right place at the right time. And Jesus will forgive you just as he has forgiven millions and millions of people. All you have to do is go to him. Confess your sin. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be delivered from your sin. You'll be delivered from the bondage of what you've believed all your life. You can be changed, turned, converted. You can repent And instead of going away from God and away from Jesus Christ, you can go towards Him. And it can happen in a moment. It happened to me that way. Now, sometimes it's gradual. But the same truth remains. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now... There were some there that day who took issue with Jesus' pronouncement. See, this man had two big problems, this paralyzed man. First of all, he was paralyzed. Secondly, he was a sinner. And what Jesus does is he confronts the greater problem first by granting this man forgiveness. What a wonderful, blessed thing. But there were some there who scoffed, mocked. Um, They were none other than the scribes, the lawyers of Israel. Uh, the ones who um, executed judgment religiously and politically in the life of Israel, the scribes. Uh, They did not verbalize their opposition, but Jesus discerned the evil was there. See, Jesus discerns the evil he sees. He sees in his spirit there uh, in verse 8, there's stubborn, um, reasoning, sinful reckoning, uh, and they accuse in their hearts that Jesus is blaspheming. How can he say that? Only God, only uh, the one God can forgive sin. Only he is able to do that. You see, Jesus knew what was in man, didn't he? We're told in another place in the Gospel of John that Jesus did not commit himself or entrust himself to them when he was in Jerusalem because he knew all men and he did not need anyone to testify concerning Man, for he himself knew what was in man. Actually, that was in Cana, just after the, the miracle of the making water into wine at Canaan, at the Feast of Canaan, at the end of John chapter 2. So Jesus, though he's ministering and he's preaching and teaching the word of God and he's proclaiming forgiveness of sins to this poor man, um, yet he's, he's, he's reserved, right? He knows what's in man. And the crowds believe him and follow Him and throng after Him, He knows that a lot of them are following Him for the wrong reasons. He knows that a lot of them are coming because they want something. Um, and I just have to pause and think, why, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Do you, do you want to draw near to Jesus and get to know more about Him, commit your life to Him? Or are you like the scribes, scoffing? Are you like the five, bringing and believing? We all find our place somewhere in this, and it's a question we need to ask ourselves. You see, their, their reasoning was half right, wasn't it? Uh, they were right to say that only the one God is able to forgive sins. That's correct. Their theology is correct. Forgiveness is a divine right. Only God has the authority to forgive sin. And on the final day of reckoning, God is the one who will set up the throne of judgment and divide between the righteous and the wicked. That's a prerogative and, and, and something that an authority that only God has. Only God can do that. Their theology, they had the right theology, right? But I, I was, uh, in my education, forced to read a lot of guys who had good theology, but hearts were hard as stone. Good theology doesn't save you all the time. Because they they went on to reason that uh, in their viewing of Jesus that he had no right or authority to forgive sin, um, they refused to accept Jesus as God's Messiah foretold by the prophets uh, that he is the Son of God. Um, they are in, the, in effect were saying he's not God. He will not judge the world. How could he say this? All this was churning around in their thoughts. And Jesus saw their secret thoughts. And Jesus sees. My secret thoughts and your secret thoughts. And when we think wrong things, even as believers, uh, how can we have our thoughts corrected? It's by uh, the Word of God, isn't it? I'm always reminded of of a scripture, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized uh, from the book of Psalms 119. Wherewithal, it's King James, I'm sorry. That's what I memorized back then. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? With all the strength and power of youth and a young man, how can you get a young man to turn from his sin and turn to God? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's what the scripture says. It's the Word Again, it's the word of God, isn't it? Jesus was preaching the word that day. Jesus discerns evil. He sees the evil in their hearts, that they are not in harmony with the word of God, that they, um, they are complaining and scoffing. And again I asked you know where are you? Don't run from him. It is futility to ignore him. He sees right through you. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter four, thirteen there is uh, neither is there any creature again King James, I'm sorry, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are laid open, naked and bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You cannot hide from God. You will face God one day. And and how will that be for you? Does that give you comfort or cause you concern? I hope it brings you comfort because God wants to bless you. And and even in this silent encounter, uh, what does Jesus do with these scribes? He, He asks them a question. He asks them a question. You see, I believe Jesus is reaching out to them. I believe he wants them to believe. Their hearts are hard as stone. But God can give people new hearts, can't He? How many of those scribes maybe later on did believe? Because Jesus confronted them with His Word. I can't tell you, but Jesus was always reaching out, ministering, until the day He was crucified, reaching out with the Word, bringing people in. That's why He came. He did not come to condemn the world, but through Him that the world might be saved. And I, I always go back to the, uh, the, the, the appearance of the angels uh, to the shepherds on that night that Jesus' birth was, was announced to them. That What did he say to the shepherds? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. He wants you to have a life of peace and blessing and joy and fulfillment. And you will have it if you believe in him, if you listen to Jesus' words. <clears throat> So Jesus preached the word. He saw true faith. He forgives sins. Um, he discerns evil. And then Jesus heals. He heals. And this healing is, has, a, has, a, has a purposeful intention. It's, it's, it has, it, he is proving, he is testifying to who he is in this healing. He says to the, to the scribes, What is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven, or to tell the layman to rise up and walk? And so Jesus is saying, look, it's easy to say that your sins are forgiven. There's no physical evidence to prove or disprove the forgiveness of sins. It's an invisible, abstract truth. It's a matter of the soul before God. You can't see it. You can't handle it. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. And there are thousands of people going to confession all the time, and they have priests saying to them, Son, go and do X, Y, and Z, and your sins will be forgiven you. But our the results, a clear conscience before God? That's the real question. Because those same people have to go back again and confess again and again and again. Just like the Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifices had to be done again and again and again and again until the final perfect sacrifice came. Um, Or, okay, so anyone can say, (laughs) I can say to you, your sins are forgiven, but it's not going to do you any good. Okay, But it's not easy to say, take up your bed, rise and walk. Here's this paralytic. He's an invalid. um, And Jesus says to him, uh, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went out before them all. And they were all amazed. You see, if he doesn't walk, Jesus is discredited as a liar and a false teacher. Here is obvious, visible proof immediately. Uh, He gets up and walks out before them all. They were all witnesses to this. Remember Mark's Mark's goal is to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He's the Messiah. He's eternal. He, Jesus is God. And then that man gets up off of that bed and walks out. Um, it proves it. You see, Jesus confronts the scribes with the logic of their own half-right theology. Uh, God alone is able to forgive sins. Yes. Jesus forgave the paralytic sins. Yes. God alone is able to heal the paralytic. It's a medical impossibility. Uh, Jesus healed the paralytic. Therefore, Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is God to be able to forgive sins. God the Son sent by the Father. They were in error to deny Jesus' deity. They ought to, the scribes, accept Jesus' divine right to forgive sins and and accept the fact that Jesus is divine, that he did come from heaven, that he was born of a virgin, and that he lived a perfect and sinless life. Uh, All of this is connected. The whole Christian faith, it fingers out to to everything you and I believe. If that paralytic doesn't get off the bed and walk, then your faith is folly. Jesus is a sham, and you ought not to believe in him. But we know he did. We know he did. And this is Mark's testimony. Uh, And this is why I thought it would have been good, I thought it was good to have uh, Phil um, read uh, from John chapter 5. Uh, especially the verses, uh, verse 36, when Jesus says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John because the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, they testify about me. That what? The Father sent me. You see, the healing of the paralytic. The Father sent the Son to heal that paralytic. And the Father who sent me also testifies of me. So the works and the Father, Jesus' own words, um, they testify that this is true. What Mark is saying is true. That Jesus indeed is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. I hope your theology is complete. I hope your Christology joins with your theology. That God can forgive sins, but Jesus also can forgive sins. And Jesus does forgive sins to the contrite of heart, to the broken of spirit, those who come in faith and ask and believe in Him and put their trust in Him. Matter of fact, all of this really tells us that we ought to believe in Jesus. It's a sin not to believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're sinning against God because God is the one who sent him, you see. And Jesus proves it all by uh, by healing the paralytic. Uh, There's a moral obligation that we have to believe in Jesus Christ. So Jesus preached the word, he saw true faith, he forgives sins, he discerns evil, and he heals as a testimony of who he is and what he's done. Now, if you bear with me just one more moment, I have one more thing in concluding. The healing of the paralyzed man, this account, is the first instance in Mark's Gospel of Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. Now, why didn't he refer to himself as the Messiah? or the Lamb of God, or the Lion of the tribe of Judah, or David's son, or David's Lord, or the prophet spoken of from Deuteronomy. Why didn't he use any of those titles? Well, this is very purposeful. Of all the scriptural titles that Jesus spoke of himself as the Son of God or the Son of Man almost exclusively. And if you you read John uh, chapter 5 all through, Jesus is constantly referring to himself as as the, uh, the Son of God. Uh, that God is his Father, and that he doesn't do anything except the Father tells him to do it. <clears throat> Until you get to uh, uh, verse 26 or so, 27, and Jesus says, just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son to have life in himself. And Jesus is talking to here about resurrection on the last day, when the dead in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth. And that he has given life to the Son to do this. And then he says, because the Father has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment. Period. You could have stopped right there. He's given the Son authority. But he doesn't stop there. John records that Jesus says, and this is what struck me, because he is the Son of Man. And this is a very direct Equal, you could put equal a sign, put an equal sign between this, that Jesus, the Son of God, equals the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. In the Greek, it's very direct, very direct. The word for because, haughty, and then, huios, son, anthropon, uh, man, esti, he is. The word for essence, the word for substance, the word for who you are in your very core and your very being, estin, or se. Jesus, the Son, is the Son of Man, and that is very important because when you go back to the book of Daniel, and you know this, you've heard it here many times, I'm sure, uh, where Daniel has his vision about the world governments that are rising and falling, and in the midst of this uh, this vision, um, Daniel says, "I kept on looking, and thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his his vesture like white as snow, his his." Uh, head like pure wool, his hair of his head like pure wool, his throne ablaze with flames, his wheels like burning fire. A river of flying fire was flowing out of his throne, and myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands were, he, were standing before him, ministering to him. And then Daniel says, I kept looking, and I saw in the night visions one, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man coming. And he went up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So the Son of Man has his origin there in the eternal vision that Daniel had of the one who would be the Lord of all the nations. And that's why I wanted to sing that hymn this morning. Son of Ruler of all nations, Son of Man and Son of God. And that's why Jesus took up this title, you see. To prove to the people of Israel on that day and uh, to the world that he is the one that Daniel spoke of. And I like how Daniel, how this is written, that he is the coming Son of Man. He is the coming Son of Man. And in this vision, I like to think of him as the eternal Son of Man. Um, God the Father has given the responsibility of judgment to the Son because he is the Son of Man. On that day in Capernaum, on that day in Capernaum, for the first time in his public ministry, Jesus identifies himself as the focus of revelation, the telos of God's plan of redemption, as his cross is the fulcrum of human history. And and we we acknowledge that, don't we, with uh, uh, B.C. and A.D. I get that right. Um, All human history finds its reason for existence in Jesus of Nazareth. The path of all mankind leads to Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth from heaven to bring forgiveness to this crippled paralytic. Jesus brings forgiveness from heaven to earth so He might forgive and heal mankind. He might forgive and heal you. That's why He came. So that if you will believe Him, the Son of Man will be your Lord. The Son of God will be your your brother. He's incarnate. He came as a man. And so... (laughs) You know, he took upon himself the form of a servant and was found in fashion like a man. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess and every knee should bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. <laughs> I, I love that. So, you know, it sounds all very high and and exalted, but you have to remember that this Jesus went into the home. And people came and he taught the word to them. Probably nothing flashy. We're told that his 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 countenance and his and his semblance was nothing to be nothing to write home about. He just was an ordinary man, but he was God incarnate and he carried the word of God. And he appeals to everyone. He 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 looks he's grateful that these men brought their friends so he could heal them. He's appealing to the scribes. He's he's ministering the word of God to the people. And he ministers the Word of God to us today. Oh, believe in him. If you're a believer already, I hope you're encouraged that your faith is not misplaced. I hope your faith is deepened. If you're not a believer, he calls you. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. Because I am meek and lowly of heart. And I love that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good, so kind to speak to us. And we give you thanks for teaching us today from your word. This simple account, this well-known account from your word of what Jesus does with the people there that day in that crowded house. We give you thanks. Thank you for ministering to us today by your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.